we're juggling three balls constantly. Right. Right? Yeah. And what are the three balls? It's it's our career, our work. Yeah. It's our family, our relationships. You know, husband, yeah. wife, children, parents. You know, whatever it might be. Yeah. Then the third ball is this passion we have for our sport. Yeah. yeah. Those three balls. Okay. What I believe is that it's almost impossible to have all three of those flying really high at the one time. Yeah. Especially if you have young children. But the reality is, look, if 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 on the road you want to you want to be in the top ten at a UCI Grand Fondo World Series, just the just the qualifier races, let alone the World Championships. Yeah. At a very objective level, you know your power numbers, your physiology. You have to be as good as a guy who would get a contract as a 23 or 24 year old, okay, right. under 23. Yeah. Um, so, at a very objective level, your power numbers have to be close to a guy who's racing pro continental level. You know, having the support of your your husband, your wife, your kids. Yeah. Because this is a journey that you go on together. You know, you don't, you don't, it's just not, it's not just me, me, yeah. it's we, we. When you're doing the gym work and the plyometrics, it's very grueling. I mean, it's hard on your body, mm. right? So you really need recovery. So right. what I'm doing during this period is, is really polarized training, right? So what right. does that mean? I am Baiki Vinky and this is the Working Athlete Podcast. Here, I talk to working athletes from all walks of life and experts from various sports to provide you with inspiration, training tips, time management and lifestyle advice. If this is something that interests you, please make sure you subscribe to this channel so that you don't miss any future episodes. If you have any suggestions for guests on the show, leave a comment on the YouTube channel or join the Working Athlete community on Facebook to leave us a message. I'll put the links for that in the show notes. Today's guest is a world-class working athlete, an Australian living in Belgium. He is a management guru who graduated from London Business School and is an adjunct professor at Antwerp Management School. He is a TEDx speaker a stand-up strategist, a husband, a father, a super strong cyclist, a winner of some of the top amateur UCA Grand Fandor races around the world and an all-round amazing guy. He recently started a cycling channel on YouTube called This Cycling Life where he interviews some of the top cyclists from around the world discussing all things cycling. His name is Jamie Anderson. Welcome to the Working Athlete Podcast, Jamie. It's such a pleasure having you on the show. Well, thank you. It's such a pleasure for me. And, you know, I never imagined when you and I met on the tour of Nilgidis all those years ago that here we would be uh, talking together on, on, a, on your, your new uh, vlog and podcast. It's cool. <laughs> Same here, Jamie. Same here. Uh, let us start with talking a bit about uh, your uh, cycling channel on YouTube, the This Cycling Life. What is the channel about and what do you want to do with the channel? Yeah, well, I mean, as you know, Vink, you know, I spend most of my life teaching and, and speaking at conferences and events and stuff like that. And, and my, my field is creativity and leadership. 
Um, but of course, uh, as you've explained already, I'm also a passionate cyclist. And I guess for a long time, for many years, I kind of had this idea, this dream to, to combine my expertise kind of in research and academia and speaking and stuff with my passion for cycling. Um, to, you know, to interview cyclists and people involved with the world of, you know, high level um, cycling, whether that's, you know, professionals or amateurs, um, about what cycling means for them. Um, but not so much around like, you know, like who's going to win this year's Tour de France or, you know, um, tell me the tactics for the Tour of Flanders or something like that, because there's loads of people doing that kind of stuff. My interest was more on the human side, you know, like... For example, I've interviewed lots of um, DSs, you know, people like Matt White, Doug Ryder, right. um, about what leadership is for them, you know, mm -hmm. and how do you build a high-performing culture, for example. So, you know, on that side, it's been really interesting because, you know, of course, these guys are in the world of cycling, but actually the, the lessons that they share and the wisdom they share are really relevant also, you know, for the rest of us or, or for people in business, um, for example. Right. So that's been one part of it. And then the other part that I'm really curious about is, again, having worked in the world of business and business schools for a long time, is just high performance as an individual. So again, what I've been doing is interviewing lots of, you know, current, former champions about what is a champion's mindset, right? What does it take to be a winner? And again, you know, of course, the interesting thing there is those insights that we gain are not just relevant for sport, they're also relevant for many other aspects of life as well. So that's the idea with the channel. The idea with the channel is to give new insights and, and, and lessons and stuff, but lessons that are not just relevant for sport that are relevant for other aspects of life as well. Brilliant, brilliant. I think that that is really uh, uh, useful for a lot of us. Those are. And now, um, you have one of the most inspirational uh, origin stories I have ever heard, right? Um, let us start with that. How did this management guru become this strong a cyclist or is it the other way around? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, of course you're alluding to my, my TED talk, I think, and, and I did share on the TED TED stage my, my kind of life story and I mean that's really amazing for me now because I, I was looking at the numbers the other day and I think it's been watched more than a hundred thousand times and you know I'm almost contacted on a, a weekly basis by people who've watched that talk and, and reach out to me to, to have a chat or ask me questions about how I made the shift myself because I did make a big shift in my career about 10 years ago yeah. pretty much leaving my full-time job as an academic um, to go independent, to work independent. But a big part of that, of course, was to chase my dream um, as a cyclist. And, and that story started, you know, when I was a kid, because, you know, I grew up in a small country town in Australia. But the amazing thing about that is, although this town had like 17,000 people, you know, I mean, I know many of your audience in India, you know, for them, like, you know, when I'm visiting India, because I love India, and I visit usually, in a, you know, in, in the non COVID times, I'm in India five or six times a year. And, you know, I know you guys, you think that a small town in India is like 100,000 people or something. <laughs> <laughs> but I grew up in a really small town, like 15,000 people. But in that town, there was a really amazingly dedicated cycling club, you know, really inspiring mm. guys. And out of this little town of 15,000 people where I live, we had Olympic champions, Commonwealth Games champions, people who went on to professional careers. So as a kid in that environment, I was quite inspired. So I raced my bike from the time I was like nine, 10 years old on the BMX track. And then I went on to the velodrome and then onto the road. Mm -hmm. So by the time I was 16, 17, I was racing state national level. So I had quite a bit of talent. Um, 
but unfortunately, you know, unfortunately, all of, you know, life draws certain cards. You know, I, I grew up in a family where I had a bit of a complicated dad. You know, he had problems with alcohol. Later in my teenage years, he also had mental illness. And, and it was a real struggle, actually, you know, trying to juggle kind of my, my sporting dreams and passions with this very unstable family environment. And at the same time, you know, trying to finish high school and, and think about studies and stuff like that. So eventually I came to the conclusion that, you know, I can't want to say it was all too hard, but sustaining that sporting performance, given the other pressures were very difficult. And at the end of the day, at the end of my 12th grade in, in Australia, I finished my high school and I got offered a scholarship for university. Right. So, you know, that was just a, a choice I had to make, you know, was I going to try to chase this dream? in the absence of, in a way, having support from my family because we didn't have the financial backing in a way to pursue a professional cycling career to come to Europe, for example, yeah. or to take, in a way, the safe option um, of accepting the scholarship and going off to university. And that's eventually what I, what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but, of course, saying that, it was not really the choice that I, that I wanted to make because my dream was always from the time I was a kid to be a cyclist. Right. But life didn't work out that way at the time. So that's pretty much led into... A 20 year academic career where mm. I eventually went on and became a professor. Yeah. Right. So what you were doing well, really well as a management consultant and professor, management professor. And uh, what made you, uh, you know, take that uh, decision? I'm sure that is a really tough decision to give a, give all that up that you worked for nearly 20 years to uh, you know start some other journey right yeah thank you i mean i think it's um it's it's a difficult it's like you know when i when as an athlete right when you're a sports person um and especially as a cyclist you know and 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 you know i have this conversation often with with cyclists and i'm incredibly impressed with the professional cyclists that i speak with and former professional cyclists and they all have something in common you know to make it as a cyclist you really have to have a very strong work ethic right, right. because it's not like you can just if you you know if you want to be a road cyclist it's not like you can just train an hour a day you know no i mean if you really want to race even at my level now at the masters and you go for the UCI Grand Fondo World Series level, you know, you're training three, four hours a day in those build-ups for those big races, right? So you have to be extremely disciplined, right, to fit yeah. in that training. So even as a kid, you know, when I was 14, 15 years old, I was training two or three hours every day and I was doing my studies and I had a part-time job, you know. So you see, I think, this, this work ethic that people have. Mm. Um, and the other thing of course that we have as athletes and even as teenagers you know you have this ability to set goals for yourself Um, you have the guts to compete you know just being there on the starting line that already takes courage because you lose you lose more than you win you know Um, so you learn what it is to to suffer you learn what it is to be resilient to get up after you've fallen down or you've lost or whatever it might be um, and of course, you learn to set goals for yourself, right? Yeah. So you're looking at your season and you're planning these goals and then you're organizing the things you need to do to get there. So I think doing that for almost 10 years as a kid, you know, from nine years old, pretty much to 19 years old when I went off to university, mm-hmm. of course, that then gave me a big advantage, I think, when I went to university and I had all of that 
ability to set goals and discipline stuff like that. And then I took that into my career. Right. Yeah. So, so that doesn't really answer your question, but so, you know, what, what it meant was that I was a really motivated, driven, disciplined person and I set goals for myself. Correct. However, you know, I think what happens to us in, in our lives and our careers is, you know, you go off to university, you start to study and you're a high achiever, you're a high performer. So, mm. you know, people reward you and pat you on the back and they say, oh, this is possible, that is possible. So, of course, after my undergrad, I went on to a master's degree and then on to further graduate studies. And what I was doing actually was being really driven in a way to prove myself, you know, like to win, to be on the top step of the podium, whether it was in the academic setting or then later in my career. Mm. But eventually what I was doing, I guess, is like people was telling me, oh, that's the good path, you know, like because initially when I went to university, I studied history and politics and literature that I was interested in. But then I realized, oh, hang on, I'm not going to make much money with that. So then I eventually went more into business studies yeah. and eventually business school. Mm-hmm. And what was the pinnacle in the business school? You know, like what's the most prestigious? Again, like being competitive, it was strategy. Right. So, so I pursued corporate strategy, you know, yeah. and eventually became a, a, a professor in strategy. All right. Right. However, however, it's like, I was never really like like passionate about strategy, you know, like I was really good at it and I could write case studies and publish articles in the top journals and stuff. But it, it was something, you know, so what I'm trying to say to you is I think there's a difference between this extrinsic motivation, everyone telling you that's a good path and that's a good job and that's a good career. Yeah. And it's all too easy as a young high achiever when you don't know what you want, when you don't know really what your passions are, just to follow that guidance right. from others. And that's what, yeah. I, what I did. Oh. So, you know, long answer to your question, but eventually what happened is, yeah, I became this top international professor and, and, and strategist. Right. But then by my late 30s, I realized, what the hell am I doing? You know, because I, I'm not really inspired by this field. I'm yeah. not really curious even about it. So, yeah. so that, that created that moment then for, for really a, a bit of a crisis for me. Right, actually. right. Yeah. Okay. So that kind of, that realization that, yeah, you know, although you will always have that in, within yourself, but, you know, it came, welled up and said, okay, what am I doing? And then you decided to switch gears and, you know, pursue your passion. Well, yeah, it was, I mean, at that stage, I didn't know professionally what my passion was really, you know, Mm. like I just knew that. And and not only that, you know, it wasn't just that, it wasn't that just that the strategy stuff didn't excite me so much. Mm -hmm. It was the environment, you know, of these academic institutions, you know, like, oh man, you know, it, it, professors are the most egotistical self-centered you know people you can work with and i was just in these environments these top tier business schools where there was a lot of politics a lot of ego rivalry backstabbing um you know climbing over other people because you know in these environments like the top tier business schools it's basically up or out right i mean you, right. you publish you build your 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 yeah, your, your research base, your record, but you're not encouraged to collaborate with other people, right? Because, you know, like if, if you co-author a paper, you get less recognition than individually. Right. So it's a weird environment, you know, like where you're in a business environment, in a work environment, but actually your colleagues are your competitors. Mm-hmm. Right? Got it. Because if, you know, if, if the business school brings in, 
you know, maybe 15 assistant professors, only two of those make it to full professor, right? So it's really, so, and I didn't like that, you know, I didn't like that, that need to have to be competitive and aggressive against in a way my my colleagues which was a bit crazy um lots of things yeah so that was also but then the other thing that i started to realize was that you know again i think it goes back to my childhood was that you know because i grew up with with look look there's nothing like you know when i say growing up in poverty in australia or, or growing i didn't grow up in poverty but i we were poor you know we didn't have enough often to make ends meet. Now, I, I know, again, in the context of India that, you know, like we were still very lucky because in Australia you have a social welfare net and you have free education and healthcare and stuff, but we yeah. did it really tough. You know? yeah. We did it really tough. And so that was always at the back of my mind as well. Like I said, you know, why did I leave my passion for history and literature and, and political science and stuff? Because I thought I'm not going to make money for that. And I really want to make a lot of money because I don't want my kids to go through what I went through. Right. So that was also a driver for me in my professional career, you know, to make a lot of money. And that's why I ended up at London Business School and I started my consulting company. But then, you know, I was really, and honestly, I was really driven by money, you know, because that yeah. was for me, that was for me a way to, to rank myself or, you know, it's not like cycling where you get a medal or a cup or a jersey. For me, it was like, I want to be earning more than my colleagues or people around me and ranking myself against them. But what that then resulted in was, you know, me like becoming really like a workaholic. Yeah. And again, you know, in your twenties or thirties, I think that's, that's okay. Right. I mean, that's what you do because you're establishing yourself from kind of mid twenties to mid thirties. But then by the time I was in my late thirties, it wasn't just about me anymore. You know, I had, I had three kids, three young children under the, all of them under the age of six, I was married yeah. and I was being a horrible, horrible husband and father because I was never home. I was working way too hard. I was traveling all the time. And yeah, so that was also a realization that it wasn't just that I wasn't happy professionally. I also wasn't happy with my, the yeah. way I was being as a husband and a father. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So basically that all, you know, all these factors contributed to that uh, switch. Uh, so what are the changes that you did uh, around that time to, uh, you know, uh, get rid of those feelings and feeling better? Yeah, well, I guess, I guess the first thing was I just realized I had to, I had to slow down, you know, and, and, and for me, what I realized actually was the number one priority was my family, you know, my mm-hmm. wife and my kids. And, and so, um, Initially, what I did actually is I went into the business school and said, you know, look, I don't want to, I don't want to keep doing this. You know, I don't want to keep, you know, having all this high pressure of the the, the, the senior role and the publication pressure and, and the, you know, all of the other stuff that I was doing that I hated, you know, like being on committees and recruitment selection panels and budget, you know, because I was a relatively senior faculty member and I didn't want to do that anymore. So I went into the business school and said, listen, this is what I want to do. You know, what I like doing is teaching. I like people, you know. Um, I like writing case studies, but all that hardcore academic research, I, I don't actually enjoy that, you know? Yeah. So what I want to be is just like, I just want to work like 50%, you know, okay. and, and just teach and just do some, some more, you know, practical research and writing. And they said, no, you know, they said, no, that's not the way we do it here. And you're either tenure track or you're out, you know? Okay. So that was a bit unfortunate. Mm. So basically then I resigned from, from the business school where I was, but already even before that, I was having some conversations with other business schools 
Um, I was doing some work with some folks in India, actually, uh, a, a fantastic organization called Eruditis Executive Education, who I still work with to this day. Mm -hmm. And what I started to realize was that there were other professional channels for me, you know, okay. to, to basically earn a bit of money to, to pay the rent and, and keep my kids fed and stuff. Yeah. But what I realized is that I actually I needed a break. And, and I decided I was going to take three to six months just to step away and, and work a lot less mm -hmm. and, and think and think about stuff. Okay. Um, the other thing there, of course, was that, you know, I, at that time I was, it was just before I was 40 years old. So, you know, I'd been working for 15 years and, you know, I had my wife and I, we had some money in the bank and, and we had enough, you know, like that we wouldn't have to worry for six months or a year you right. know, that we, we could cover that. So, yeah. you know, again, with me, with my kind of financial obsession, you know, I did a budget and I thought about all that stuff yeah. and I realized, Hey, you know what? We're okay. We're okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so that was the plan. Actually, it was, was the plan not to have a plan, you know, just to take yeah. these months off with some of this work, a little bit of work booked. Right. And then of course, the other thing, and this was in 2009, you know, like I was watching TV one day and then I saw this World Masters Games in Sydney. Right. It was on Eurosport. And I was like blown away. I was like, hang on. Like, wow, there's this whole world of Masters sport out there. Because right. I, hadn't raced, I hadn't raced my bike for 20 years, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, but in the meantime, you know, of course, for the 20 years that I hadn't raced my bike, every year I'd watch the Tour de France and the Giro and the Vuelta and you know, the, the, the three old Flanders. And so I still had this fire in my belly for cycling. And then when I saw this thing on TV, I thought, wow, why don't I go back? You know, yeah. you know, that's something I always dreamed of. So that was also then part of the plan was, okay, I'm going to go back and start, start racing my bike again. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Awesome. So that, um, what, how, how long did it take for that, um, you know, move to, uh, you know, do less work and then, uh, uh, start cycling again and targeting those masters games and stuff yeah. and yeah. how long did it take for you to um, have that idea and to execute and make it to the start line of that uh, those yeah. races yeah well, i guess there was there was kind of two 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 three kind of pathways you know parallel right one was again getting back and being a dad and you know like yeah. spending a lot of time with my kids and that was awesome and and so you know taking that three six months off was really really great just to spend time because my kids were like two years old four years old six years old so that was awesome yeah now of course then i you know i also had time then to ride my bikes because the kids were in kindergarten or preschool and stuff like that so so i started riding my bike a lot and I realized I was horribly unfit, you know, because I was like 75 kilos and so 10 kilograms more than I was when I was a competitor. I'm a pretty small guy. So yeah. some people would hit 75 and say, oh, that's not so heavy. You that's know? Not I'm, I'm, I'm like 160, 60, yeah. uh, eight centimeters tall. So I was pretty heavy, um, you know, and, and it's like, it's a weird feeling, you know, like when you've been an athlete in your youth and then to get back into sport and just feel like, horrible you know like like how far you are away from what you were before but i kind of had this belief that you know i kind of like saw myself as like a block of marble you know like 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 michelangelo and i knew that there was an athlete in there somewhere right right it would just take a lot of chiseling away at the the block which is what i'd become right to kind of unearth the athlete within again right. and that did take a lot of time you know it was we we moved we moved back to belgium 
because my wife wanted to be closer to her family and I saw it would be a great place, of course, for cycling, a nice place for our kids to be. We, we rented a house in, in the countryside a little bit. So really nice environment for the children, great schools nearby. And, and I had a beautiful place to ride my bike. So I started riding, but I had my first race, I think like a a year. Uh, So middle of 2000, it was the summer of 2010. So I had my first race in Belgium. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's like the level in Belgium is unbelievable, right? I mean, because it's, it's basically, you know, Belgium's a relatively small country. So you get the best riders at every race because it's, it's only an hour to drive. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, basically the master's level here in Belgium, the guys that I race against are guys who win world champion level. Right. They, these are grand fondle world champions and stuff. So, Absolutely. so I never forget my first race, you know, it was like, I think 10 laps of a, of a seven, eight kilometer circuit. And I lasted for two. Yeah. I was dropped you know, in two laps. And that was my whole first year of racing. I mean, I never finished a race. I would last maybe half and then I'd be dropped from the peloton. And the thing in Belgium is because you're racing on these circuits, if you get dropped, they basically pull you out of the race because there could be another age group coming behind you and stuff. So it's really a bit demoralizing, right? Because you not only get dropped from the peloton, you then have the commissaire shouting at you out, out. out of the race. Yeah. To get out, get off the road. So that was my first year pretty much. Um, And I think it was, two and a half years after I started back and steadily building up my training and learning you know, how to race again, I got my first top five. I finished fourth in wow. a race. Wow. I got in a breakaway with a group of five guys. And, and that's when I realized, okay, you know, I can do this. Uh, it's possible. Right. But it was, it was two and a half, years, two and a half years. Wow. And the world masters game. So I started this sort of comeback, if you like in, end of 2009 the world masters games were 2013 <laughs> so that's what i was then going for uh yeah um now in parallel to that you know it was like the professional stuff as well because what i started to explore was like what other work can i do that can bring in a decent enough income to support my family and yeah. yet would not involve having the stress and the you know all the pressure and stuff that i had before and that's kind of where i almost by accident discovered the whole keynote speaking thing you know because what i was doing is i was going out on my bike and listening to podcasts and listening to ted talks right i thought hang on a second these ted talks are really cool you know like and i have ideas and 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 stuff so so i'm going to give a ted talk you know that was my that became part of my goal right and then i realized there was this whole world out there of keynote speaking which was kind of like being a professor, you know, right. sharing your knowledge to a group of people. But instead of having to go through all of those horrible things like committee meetings and research and stuff like that, basically you get an agent, you write a book and, and then you become a keynote speaker. And that journey started to happen pretty much in parallel with my cycling journey, you know, okay. to, to actually try to establish myself, not just as a cyclist, right. um, but as a TED speaker and a keynote speaker as well. Awesome, awesome. And when I met you first time in uh, 2016 in uh, Tour of Nilgiris, right? Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that really struck me was uh, you were uh, uh, more than eligible for uh, to be in the Masters uh, 
category but you raced in um, uh, elite category as uh-huh. in yeah. so the age groups was under 35 and over 35 and i was competing in and over 35 groups and you come you were competing with neels um who was really strong in the elite category and you were yeah. really really strong and you i mean he, uh, he neels is a very very strong cyclist uh, almost yeah, a pro. I mean, the guy's world level world yeah level. world had, level top 10 results at uci world world grand fondo championship yeah so. yeah and you were so close to him even with you know all that age gap and i was like wow this guy is really something and I, now i could see the kind of work you have put in from 2010 coming in and chiseling away at that block and uh, yeah. you know how that athlete has emerged out of that all that work um now the, the another thing that really really struck with me was i think in 2017 uh mm-hmm. in one of the rest days you gave a, a presentation a small talk to the uh, all the tfn participants about uh, um what is that i'm not i, I don't get that name about uh, mm-hmm. the priority uh, choosing uh, your goals and the priority matrix or something like that can you do you remember that yeah yeah sure yeah yeah look i'm um, I mean, a few things. I mean, the first thing is that, you know, what I started to realize, you know, coming back into to cycling at a high level um, was that the reality is even at master's level, right? Okay, now when you met me, I think I was still in the M, M4 category, something like that. Um, but listen, you know, you know to, at, at the UCI Grand Fondo world level, or I've also raced on the track, you know, um, I, last year I did Manchester. Um, mm-hmm. I did the points race there. But the reality is, look, if, if, if on the road you want to you be in the top 10 at a UCI Grand Fondo World Series, just the, just the qualifier races, let alone the World Championships, yeah. at a very objective level, you know, your power numbers, your physiology, you have to be as good as a guy who would get a contract as a 23 or 24-year-old, okay? Right. Under 23. Yeah. Um, so at a very objective level, your power numbers have to be close to a guy who's racing pro-continental level. Yeah. Right? yeah, that's just that's just to be in the mix. So, yeah. you know, when people say masters or veteran cycling, and they're looking at us as like some kind of guys who are not as good or not as strong, okay, we're not going to win the Tour de France. We're not at that level of the World Tour. Yeah, but we're certainly at that sort of pro continental level. So, what I started to understand was that, yeah, of course, to build yourself up to that level. For me, it took about five years, right? I mean, I I got a bronze medal at the World Masters in 2013. I think Mm -hmm. I was a bit lucky, you know, I kind of survived to the end. I have a good sprint and and I was there, but I still wasn't as good as many of the top guys. Um, And then it took me another three years, I would say, like to 2016 when you met me, 2017, where I was really reaching, I think, that ceiling of my performance. You know, like what is is physiologically possible? And... What that involved, of course, was making choices about life. So the other thing I started to realize was that if I wanted to race UCI Grand Fondo World Series level, mm-hmm. then you have to live like a professional, right? I mean, you, right. You, you can't have a full-time job and a family 
and prepare yourself to compete at that level right to race 160 kilometer races five hours you know you can't yeah. do it yeah so what i talked to you all about was you have to look at your life as as a journey and a long journey yeah and if at the age of 45 or, or, or 50 or at the moment i'm actually i interviewed a guy last week who's 62 years old wow. he's taken early retirement to go back to win a world championship in cycling right wow um guy called Dieter Vorbeck, fascinating guy. But the point I'm making here is this. So what I spoke to all you about was, okay, if it's really, really important for you, really meaningful for you to try to see and discover your potential as an athlete, mm -hmm. then why not take a year out or two years in your mid forties to have a crack at it? Now I'm not saying you take a year out that you stop working completely and you divorce your wife or husband and you know, no, 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 no. But what I'm saying is that what I do now is, you know, my life is essentially like, um, is based around a, a four year cycle. All right. And I've been doing this now. This is, I'm going into my 11th year of doing this. Mm -hmm. And what I do is I plan around every four years to be at a world level. Now, why is that? Because I can't be at a world level on the road every single year because I can't train 20 hours a week, week in, week out, every single year. Okay. So what I do is I have a period um, of, like when you met me 2016, I was living like a pro, right? Because why? You know, I just turned like 45. I was going up into the new age group classification. And yeah. my decision was I'm going to go for world level results, yeah. multi-day stage race results for that year. So in that year, you know, I only worked 30% of the amount that I would in a, in a regular year. Mm -hmm. I was still a pretty good husband and dad because I was home a lot, although I was tired and grumpy quite a bit, <laughs> but I really cut back on my working, you know, my working, my income dropped by maybe 70% in that year, 2016, mm -hmm. 2017. Mm -hmm. But it was a choice I made because I was keeping in mind, I still have 20 more years to work and earn money and stuff like that. Right. right, right. So so what I did then, when you met me, 2016, 17, I was living like a pro and I, and I had 23 international podium results in those wow. two years. Wow. Okay, UCI World Series races, uh, you know, I won the Giro Sardinia, won the Tour of Norway, I won a whole bunch of stuff. But then, of course, you know, second half 2017, 18, I had to get back to working and I had to earn money, right? Yeah. So then I dramatically cut back on my cycling. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't have, I, I did very little real high level competition in that mm -hmm. year. Um, then, you know, 2019, which was last year, again, I need to make money. I'm working more. My career is going great on the keynote speaking and all that kind of stuff. So what I did then was say, okay, I want to get back into competition. I need to start getting that base back again. Mm -hmm. But what I did then was I targeted time trials, you know, and okay. track. Right. So instead of having to train 20 hours a week, it was more like 10 hours a week, but actually again, reaching that international level. You know, I won the European Masters Time Trial Championship last year. Mm -hmm. I finished top 10 in the world uh, points uh, race on the track in Manchester. Yeah. Um, so does that make sense? You know, like it's always it juggling. It it's is, yeah. yeah. So the, uh, if you, uh, it's also about timing your, uh, uh, figuring out your priorities at any given point of time. And then balancing it out with the others. So you, if you, uh, if your goals and your work uh, doesn't uh, don't uh, speak to each other, as in you know, if they are competing for the same resources, uh, which yeah. are limited, like uh, time and energy, right? Yeah. 
then you are going to be in a bit of a uh, problem spot but if yeah, you are yeah, yeah i mean look look you, you you're going to get a divorce or something you know like it's, it's, <laughs> seriously i know these guys in their 40s and women you yeah. know who get divorced because they because here's the thing venki it's very simple right you, we're juggling three balls constantly right. Right. And what are the three balls? It's it's our career, our work. Yeah. It's our family, our relationships. You know, husband, yeah. wife, children, parents. You know, whatever it might be. Yeah. Then the third ball is this passion we have for our sport. Yeah. yeah. Those three balls. Okay. What I believe is that it's almost impossible to have all three of those flying really high at the one time. Yeah. yeah. Especially if you have young children. Yeah. If because because they take a lot of your time. So what you have to decide is you have to make trade-offs, right? And that's right. what I'm constantly, what I'm constantly doing is adjusting those three. Okay. Right. So like I said, when I met you 2016, 17, what was I doing? I was being an amazing cyclist because I was training 20 hours a week. Yeah. I was at home a lot because when I wasn't training, I was, I was resting or being at home and stuff. So I was being still a pretty good dad. I think a good husband, although my wife was complaining, you know, cause like, Every time we, every time we get in bed, you know, I just like fall asleep. You know, I was so tired all the time. Right? So she was complaining. You're like, when am I going to get some action here? You know, like that and stuff. It was really funny. And, and then, you know, my kids are like, Oh dad, you're so grumpy. You know, like, like I'd be shouting at them and stuff. And I never forget my son, Charlie, one day he said, you know, Papa, you're tired and grumpy. We shouldn't be having this conversation right now. You know, like, so that was funny. But actually, I was pretty good. And, you know, because we were having holidays together off to France and Spain for racing. They were coming with me and supporting me. And that was really amazing. Um, but, of course, as I said, in those two years, my income went down by 70%. Yeah. Okay? I earned enough to pay the mortgage and then, you know, have some simple vacations and stuff. But, again, I'm thinking, okay, that's all right because, you know, I've still got another 20 years to make money. So, if, right. if I make a little bit less in these two years, it's okay, you know. Yeah. And I explained that. I had that conversation with my wife and my kids. They understand, you know, because I don't want my kids thinking, oh, dad's unemployed. We're going to starve, you know. We're, we're, we're not going to get our, you know, PlayStation for Christmas or something like that. Right. So, I had to explain that to them. Yeah. And they're on board with it. They're on board yeah. with it. So, so, that's also super important that, you talk to the people around you. Right? Yeah. Okay. This yeah. is my dream as an athlete. Like, you know, when I told my wife in 2009, right, I want to be a world champion, you know, and she's like, what the hell? Like, she, cause she never knew me as an athlete, right? She knew me yeah. as a professor and, and, you know, like all I was doing some gym and stuff. And then I pulled out these photos of me as a teenager race. And, and I was like crying and emotional because it brought back all these flooding of memories for me. And she was like, wow. I never knew that. But if that's so important to you, yeah. then, then go for it, you know? Yeah. So, and so that's what I'll say as well, you know, having the support of your, your husband, your wife, your kids, yeah. because this is a journey that you go on together. You know, you don't, you don't, it's just not, it's not just me, me. Yeah. It's we, we, and, and that's how it's we, it's how we do it. Yeah. Absolutely. Don't, don't tell my don't tell my wife. I told you that, that thing, <laughs> by the way, she'd be terribly embarrassed if she knew I told you that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was true yeah yeah, yeah. No, so that, that is a great point you make about uh, prioritizing and you know the example you uh, told about juggling those three balls and not uh, you know if you have all those three balls uh, up in the, you know in the air uh, you know one has to be up and one has to be down and you know at different levels for for the juggling to be continuing right so that's a great you know, honestly i mean i you know it's like 
I had I had a friend, a good good mate of mine, um, who was you know Team GB, a Great Britain level, you know, similar mm-hmm. age to me and everything like that. And you know, yeah. I spoke to him, and we were we were you know in touch quite regularly. And 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 then you know he was like making a comeback, cycling comeback, you know, in his in his mid forties, and really really wanting to do it. But there was a problem because at the same time he was doing that, he was making a shift in his career. Um, in, in, so he was working as in the world of media, journalism, um, in, in the financial world. You know, he's right. an oil and gas kind of specialist working for some of these big uh, companies that, that do research on these regions and industries and stuff. So he'd taken a, a big job. What that involved was him working in the city of London. He had a one and a half hour commute each day to work, you imagine, on the train. Wow. Um, so, so high pressure job, big commute. Um, he's got kids who are in high school and, you know, like going through the later stages of high school. So also needing support with their homework and, 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 and planning of their, their, their studies and stuff like that. He's got a wife, you know, and I'm like, Andy, that ain't going to work, man. You know, that, you know, you wanting to world level at, at UCI road races yeah. and having this high pressure job and having these family commitments, yeah. you're going to burn out. You're going yeah. to burn out, man. And, yeah. and, you know, the guy was like waking up at 5 a.m. in the morning to do one and a half hours before his commute. Then he was coming home after work and, you know, and, yeah. and it, didn't work, it didn't work out for him because he was trying to keep all, you know, yeah. and, and he, his relationship was coming under pressure with his wife. His kids weren't happy. So it, it, you can't do that. You know, yeah. you can't do that. It's not, not fair on you and it's not fair on those around you. Mm. That, that, is, that is a very, very important point. Yeah. So, but also, thank you. You know, I think there's a real important point here as well. And again, mm-hmm. look, you know, I've I've been traveling to India for 20 years, right? And yeah. and honestly, I know, you know, what it's that, you know, the social welfare net, you know, the responsibility of parents. It's all there in India, right? And and look, so don't get me wrong. Like, this is not possible for everybody, right? Absolutely. Because, you know, if you've basically got a job where you just are just making ends meet. You know, and, and you can't put money aside and you can't, for example, do what I do, you know, because I have the ability to work as an independent. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I, I, I have the possibility to give keynote speeches or to do a few days of consulting here. I'm not on a nine to five job yeah, or yeah. nine to seven or, or, you know, like many people in India would be. Yeah. Um, so here's my, my, my advice there. Okay. It's, it's yeah. like this, you know, um, again, so you, you, ha- it has to be, right for you but again what i do say to people even who are in that situation like my friend andy was right make a choice andy you know what's yeah. more important for you right now is it yeah. career yeah or is it this dream to realize this potential you have as an athlete right and if if the career is the thing which is pulling right now then yeah. guess what you still have another 40 years to ride your bike yeah okay? yeah so so just put it put it aside for now Come yeah. back to it. However, if that fire inside you for your sport is so strong, even in your early or mid forties, right, and there's this unfinished business you want to realize, you don't yeah. want to wait. Then, okay, then it's just about a matter of planning the financial stuff mm-hmm. and and planning the career to say, you know what, I'm going to take this mid career break, right, um, and I'm going to plan for that financially. But yeah. it's gonna be a plan, and I'm gonna do it. Yeah. Right? But 
but you have to do that as a plan because you, you can't do it all. That's that's. Yeah. I, I hope that makes sense. You know? that yeah, makes it sense. does. It does. You know, it, it's also about um, looking at uh, where you are in your career and life, and then choosing yeah. the goals accordingly. Right. Uh, yeah. So people who cannot give up their nine to five job or, you know, it, it is not practical for, you know, everybody, right? So sure. they can uh, look at their schedule and say, okay, I'm, I am able to uh, give 10 hours a week for training and so And then there will be enough races for them to. Uh, sure, yeah. sure. I mean, that's the other thing, you know, it's like, um, I mean, there's two aspects to this, right? Like, yeah. for example, I interviewed, I interviewed just, just last week, this guy, Dieter Vorbeck, right? And Dieter mm-hmm. Vorbeck is 62 years old. Right. When he was a teenager, he was really top level in Germany and in, in then West Germany. Yeah. But like me, you know, we had a very similar kind of decision process. He decided to go off to academics and then he went to an amazing corporate career. Right. He became CTO of one of the biggest telecom companies in Belgium. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, in Germany, in mm-hmm. Germany. So this is a guy who was, you know, top C-level executive, board member, all that stuff. Right. But guess what? You know, when he was getting into his already into his 40s and 50s, he started to feel this fire for his cycling again. Yeah. So he was riding with his friends on the weekend and going on holiday cycling, but not competing because he said, no, I want to go as far as I can in my career. Yeah. But then he reached that level in his career. Yeah. And what has he done? You know, in the last 12 months, he has taken early retirement, you know, not to work to 67 as he can, but to say, you know what? I've done my corporate stuff. I'm financially stable. So I'm not going to wait another five years. I'm going to do it now. And he's an amazing guy, right? Because he's, he's had his, he made the choices. He did his corporate life. And now he's saying, now is my time to be. And now he's living like a pro at 60 years. It's awesome. It's awesome to see that. So that's the first thing. The the first thing is it's never too late. Mm-hmm. to to chase your dreams as an athlete never yeah. too late because you know at, at, at the road cycling uci grand fondo world championships they now have a 100 plus age group category right? you know, wow it's, it's mind it's mind-boggling yeah it's mind-boggling right so, so keep that perspective the second thing is exactly what you say you know, if you do have the pressures of family and and work then set sporting goals for yourself that fit with the time you have available yeah right so, you know, as I told you last year, lots of great stuff happening in my career. Um, my children are now all teenagers. They're needing me around as well a lot in terms of supporting them with their studies and school and thinking. Um, and so, you know, last year I was training eight or 10 hours a week, yeah. fitting that in around other stuff. But mm. I won the European Masters Time Trial Championships. Yeah. You know, on yeah. T- why? Because that race was 22 kilometers. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it's going really fast for like 30 minutes. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that doesn't take to, to get to that level. It doesn't take 20 hours training a week. No. Right? You know, you can. So, so that's also a mistake that a lot of cyclists make, right? Like when I was in India, like I see all these guys doing the tour of Nilgiris and they're doing 160K stages and, and they want to win, and, but they've only got 10 hours a week for training. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. I mean, so uh, look, thank you. The tour of Nilgiris is wonderful to do, wonderful to compete at, but don't expect you're going to win it with yeah. eight hours training. You know, maybe say in the tour, I'm going to go for some shorter stages and time trials and stuff like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Awesome. So <clears throat> uh, great insights there, Jamie. Uh, now let us talk a little bit uh, um, about uh, 
tour of nilgiris and uh, how did you uh, get to know about the tour and how did you end up uh, doing those uh, two years yes so you know as i've been i've been visiting india since 2000 so 20 years i've been back and forth to india mm-hmm. um and over that time of course i was i was initially teaching at the indian school of business in hyderabad mm, um IBS. but then exactly so i was teaching regularly there so i got you know i had good contacts in 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 uh, in hyderabad of course and then about 7 8 years ago i started working with a group of guys in mumbai called eruditus um mm-hmm. executive education and they they're the the guys in india and they they host and and market a lot of programs for schools like kalog and warton and insiat right so i started teaching i started teaching for them mm-hmm. and i was starting to do stuff in in bangalore and okay. through my connections in bangalore um work connections you know i realized there was a cycling club there and i started to get connected with some of the cyclists in bangalore i met a young indian guy actually called sarvesh who you sarvesh, know yeah, yeah yeah so i met sarvesh and sarvesh was really keen to come and race in belgium so we kind of helped through some connections to bring him over to belgium uh, he stayed with my family for a while and stuff so through the connection with sarvesh i heard uh, heard about the tour of nilgiris and then i i signed up and it was just a awesome experience i i just i loved it i really loved it yeah 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 what are the uh, some of the things that uh, you remember from those two years of a tour of nilgiris that stood out okay the first thing that that you know because you guys have been cycling in india for years right so you so you you understand it you know like for some some western guy coming to india we don't know that stuff right like so for example for example um you know like uh, when you're cycling okay i mean cycling in the cities in india i don't know how you guys do i have the m- utmost respect and admiration for your courage and persistence and stuff right so the first thing for me was like getting out of bangalore was was like uh it was like grand theft auto on bicycles you know like like it was like just survival and and zigzagging and zooping forward and suddenly people coming from the left and right and and random dogs chasing you and everything and cars honking and boy it was it was an adventure um but that wasn't the worst bit you know actually the the thing that you guys didn't tell me was when you're riding through like the the backwaters of kerala you know yeah. and you're on this beautiful road you know quiet and stuff like that and then you come to a small village what you guys didn't tell me is that people don't look out eh? they just walk onto the road <laughs> right in front of you right like because because you know used to they used to vehicles that make noise right like yeah, like noise yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 sure so as a cycle you're very quiet eh? so i had these experiences of just like cycling through these small villages and people just walking right in front of me you know like yeah. and yeah and and at one stage i was with niels and we were going through a village and uh, a lady on a on a motorbike just came straight out and i crashed right into her because she just didn't look yeah. she didn't look yeah. so of course then then what you guys also didn't tell me is you never stick around after an accident especially <laughs> if you knock a lady off a bike right <laughs> so so we're there and this lady on the ground and her motorbike is scratched and stuff and of course it, according to us it's her fault you know because she didn't look yeah but then you know and of course nils is wanting to have a big argument with everybody because my bike wheel was buckled and everything 
and then some Indian, some of the guys arrived. I can't remember who. And they're like, okay, guys, we just get the hell out of here now. Yes. You know? <laughs> we just split, you know. We're not going to, because suddenly there's a big crowd coming and people are shouting at the motorbike being damaged. And so we just took off. You know, we were, we were gone. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was, that was pretty crazy. Um, uh, yeah, and the whole thing about these... You know, like in Belgium, Australia, you know, dogs are nice. You know, like you, you have dogs and you can say, hello, puppy, give them a little pat. In India, these dogs are gonna, they, they're ferocious, man. So suddenly you're going through this beautiful, you know, again, you're in Tamil Nadu or something, you're riding along and it's all beautiful. And then suddenly you get attacked by like 10 of these dogs. And, yeah. and, and I, I had no preparation. I didn't know what to do in those situations, you know, so. Crazy. Yes, I, so it was crazy. So that was some of the traumatic, but yeah, I look back now, I laugh, you know, um, but there was also wonderful thing. I mean, just, just the camaraderie of the people, the food was amazing. Like I was vegetarian pretty much for the whole time and, yeah. and actually changed my, really changed my, my uh, diet when I came back, you know, I really realized, you know, what am I doing? You know, I, there was all this marvelous food that I was eating vegetarian and uh yeah i pretty much kind of i have a semi-vegan diet now actually that was one of the big things that changed wow. after the as well yeah wow. yeah. yeah and uh, so, some of those routes are also uh, pretty amazing right and all those climbs including kalahati yeah it was you know it was incredible i mean the beauty i mean of these areas that we went through in kerala tamil nadu you know up to uti the tea plantations you know we um, we did the Kalhati climb, you know, I mean, it was just, it was beautiful, you know, and yeah. I really became an ambassador for, for the tour and for cycling in India, actually. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll be back. I mean, I think obviously I was actually planning to come back this year, uh, in, in December, but of course with COVID it was canceled, yeah. <laughs> but hopefully, hopefully, hopefully next year I can be back. And of course, what it also triggered in me was a real interest in cycling in other parts of India. So I, I'd really like to go to the North. Um, yeah. and sort of head up into the mountains and do some riding there. So yeah. that's all on my bucket list. Um, yeah, there, there's some great riding uh, in the lower Himalayas and stuff. Uh, exactly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but also just, you know, I mean, for Deepak and the guys, I mean, I think I, I've done a lot of multi-day stage races around the world, you know, in, mm -hmm. in, in Italy, in, in Norway, in different places. It was a really world-class organization. You know, everything yeah. was really well-organized, People, you know, the, the, the motorbike outriders, the, 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 the cooks, the, the port. I mean, everyone was just super, super professional, helpful. Things ran, went well. So, yeah, yeah I really, uh, really like that. Although, you know, the other thing you guys didn't tell me, you know, because I signed up for Twinshare, right? So, yeah. of course, you know, like in Belgium, when you sign up for Twinshare or in Europe, you have two separate beds, man. <laughs> And then suddenly, you know, like I get there and I realize, hang on a second, you know, we check into the hotel room and there's like a double bed, right? And and who was I showing? Who was the guy? Um, oh, the awesome guy, the mountain bike rider, um, um, with the beard, the goatee. Um, oh, the Shivin. Uh, was it no, no, the, the skinny guy? And he finished, I think, second or third overall that year. Um. But anyway, anyway, so anyway, yeah. so, so he's a terrific guy. I remember his name. Yeah. And we were sharing together, you know, like, so, and, but the thing about it, right, is like, this guy's a teeth grinder, right? <laughs> so I'm sharing, I'm not, not only am I sleeping in a double bed but with this guy, he's like grinding, grinding the teeth. I couldn't sleep. And so I, I had to, I said, listen, I have to find another roommate. <laughs> 
So then, so then, you know, I, eventually, I, eventually, I ended up sleeping with Niels, you know. Okay. So, so that was hilarious. So here we like really competing with each other, and then we're sleeping together like brothers, you know, in the in the bed every night. It was it was yeah. hilarious. It was hilarious, but it was it was terrific. It was yeah. good fun. Teeth grinder might must be uh, Kiran Kumar Raju. Kiran, it was Kiran. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Kiran, ah, oh, the Kiran, the teeth grinder. Oh man, never forget that. Yeah. yeah so anyway, it's good. Awesome. I'm thinking like. And the worst bit is like, I'm thinking where look, it's, we were, we were in the middle of, I don't know where we were. Like we'd gone to um, Mysore and then we headed off. It was early days, you know, and I'm, I, I'm thinking, I can't, there's no shop around here to buy noise cancelling headphones, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> but no, so I ended up, I ended up saying, sorry, Kieran, I gotta go. I gotta go, man. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Great experiences. Now uh, <clears throat> let's come to a little bit of, um, uh your training how how does your uh, training uh, look like uh, say yeah. a week or a month or a season cycle yep um it's a good question i mean it really does depend on on what is the goal right mm-hmm. you know like what is <clears throat> what is the goal is is it going to be uci grand fondo full full on world championship sort of stuff where you're racing 150 kilometers that's very different but i would say there's a few real basic principles um around which to 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 base your training right and and the first thing of course is goal setting Mm -hmm. so you need to be looking forward now the thing about that is as i said as a master cyclist it's a bit different even to being say a you know an under 23 or or certainly a professional cyclist because i think in terms of what i call like like micro macro and meso cycles right so what's the meso cycle the meso cycle is like that four year or right. even eight year horizon mm-hmm. because thank you i'm gonna be like i joke with my kids you know like i, I said look i'm gonna be like cycling until i'm dead you know like i'm just gonna keep going and going because i want to be competing until into my 80s i'm sure yeah so so that gives me also a lot of like it makes me relaxed, right? In terms of looking that if this year is too busy or I've got, you know, or if I'm just inspired with my work yeah. then it's okay because I, I so, so what, what I do with my coach, my coach is a guy called Alan Davis. He's a former professional Australian guy, amazing guy mm-hmm. is we, we first, we always keep in mind these meso cycles. Right? Right, right. So for me, actually, you know, that was this year was part of that because in two, well, 2021, uh, my goal was to go to the world masters games in japan and to win okay mm-hmm. because i'm going up an age group classification to 50 yeah uh, and then the goal was to go on from the world masters games in japan and then to target the world you know grand fondo championships in um in in bosnia yeah. this year in banja luka mm-hmm. and also to get a get a top top result there but the world masters games has been cancelled Okay. So yeah. that causes me to reevaluate my goals a little bit. Now, also, um, I have to say, because of the COVID year this year, yeah. uh, you know, I haven't worked pretty much since March. You know, I'm, I don't, I'm yeah. not on contract. I'm not on nine to five salary. Correct. So my income is basically evaporated this year, right? My right. income's down maybe 70, 80% on a regular year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's also a little bit more in the equation. You know, I need to earn a bit more money next year. So yeah. with that in mind, you know, that also because I haven't been working, you know, I, I haven't had those same activation of contacts with clients and my network. So, 
So actually 2021, I will need to be working a bit more right. and reactive and again, not just income, but contacts and opportunities. Right. So I went back to my coach and said, okay, given that the world masters games have been postponed, mm-hmm. we moved that cycle to 2022. Okay. Right? Yeah. So one of the plan now is for 2021 is pretty much what I did 2019, right? okay. which means go very fast yeah. for a short period short of time. Period there. Yeah, exactly. So my goals now for um, 2021 will be, uh, I still go for the world grand fondo um, mm-hmm. championships in Banja Luka. Mm-hmm. However, I target the time trial. Right. right. So I'm going for a top 10 result in the TT. Mm-hmm. I will do the road race because, you know, what I've seen from previous years is that if you're strong enough to be with the best guys in the world for 30 minutes, yeah. it's possible you can make it into a breakaway, you know, or you can go over the first climbs with the best guys yeah. and maybe five to the finish. So I will do the yeah. road race, right. but that will be more for fun yeah. and for how do you put it? Like uh, I'll be... I'll be opportunistic in the road race. Yeah. Yeah. I know that I won't be the strongest guy, right. but I'll with, if I have tactical mouse and I've okay. got this very strong 10, 20 minute power, I've mm-hmm. got a chance to be in the mix at the end, maybe for a top, top 15, top 20. Yeah. So I'll be there, but the time trial will be the focus. Yeah. Um, and then what will then be my goal after that is in October, <clears throat> which is about six weeks later mm-hmm. will be the world track championships in Los Angeles. Mm. And there I will race the 20 kilometer points race. Wow. Uh, so again, so, so you see those two girls, goals are very complimentary because right. I'm training for the time trial. Yeah. And then the Bajalina. point race. Yeah. And then the point. So this is really, you know, 20 to 30 minutes of yeah. very high power output, yeah. but focusing also on aerodynamics on, you know, lactate tolerance, that kind of stuff. All right. So right. does that make sense? So they're my big Absolutely. goals. Yeah. So my early season goal then will be to qualify for Banja Luka. Mm-hmm. So my plan is to go to Cyprus, which will be end of March, early April, fingers crossed, yeah. with vaccines and stuff. Yeah. And there I will race the time trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a three-day event in Cyprus. It's a UCI mm-hmm. Grand Fondo World Series. Right. Um, it's three days. I'll do the time trial on the Friday mm-hmm. uh, and then probably skip the Saturday and race on the Sunday because it's actually a tour. So you, 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 you race for the overall, Got but it. you don't yeah. have to do all the stages. Right. So my plan is to rocket in the time trial on yeah. the Friday yeah. while everyone else is racing because you can actually, <clears throat> the Saturday and the Sunday are both individual qualifications for the world championships. You get a double chance. Oh, okay. Yeah. So while everybody is like knocking themselves out on the Saturday, I'll be sitting by the pool with my feet up and relaxing. Yeah. Uh, and then I'll go full gas on the Sunday for a result in the road race, the, the oh. last stage to qualify. Awesome. Yeah, so that's what I did. I did that last year and that, that paid off. So I'll do the same. Okay. So does that make sense? So that's the the kind of goals. And then, you know, so if you imagine what I'm building up towards now will be to be in really good form for late April. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Then why is that? Because also May and June, hopefully the conference and event season will be kickstarting again. Yeah. So I'm hoping to be busy with my work in May and June, making money. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, so, also taking a bit of a, because obviously I'll be training very hard between now and April. 
Yeah. Okay. So in that period of May, June, I also back off my training to recharge myself physically and mentally. Right. Um, and then what I do is start the build up again in July for Banjaluka in September. Mm-hmm. Then I'll take a little bit of a break and then I'll start doing the more specific training for the, for the track in LA. So Fine. does that make sense? That's, that's kind of what the, 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 the year yeah. looks like. Yes. Right? So do you want to hear about how I train for that now? I mean, that, yes. So now I can tell you how I train. All right. Yes. So, yes. so the first thing is um, that obviously you know, as a master cyclist, there is, there is work that you need to be doing mm-hmm. sort of what I am now, you see, because it's now December and I'm heading for a build up by end of April. Right. So that's about four months. Got it. So what I've already been doing, what I've been doing for about the last five weeks, six weeks already. So this is in November, December's yeah. phase. Right. Is my coach and I do what we call the build phase. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, sorry, it's, it's like a base, we call it base, base and build, but the right. base phase, mm-hmm. most people think of base phase, the traditional idea is doing lots of kilometers. Right. 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 So they say you base miles. Right. That's a really old, old school way of looking at things mm-hmm. because if I, when I think about base, the base is preparing the, your body as a platform for all of the more specific efforts you're going to do later in your training cycle. Correct. So actually what I do during the base is very few endurance kilometers. Okay. Mm-hmm. And certainly okay. very few endurance kilometers at any kind of um, effort. Now, why is that? Because what I'm working on more during the base, and this is especially important for masters athletes is muscular power, uh, okay. core strength. Mm-hmm. Why? Because if you're a master's athlete or if you're an endurance athlete who's been training for a few years, your endurance base is there, okay? And it's actually, it's the detraining effect for endurance is much less than the detraining effect for power and intensity, right? Mm-hmm. Now, also as you age, you know, you have less testosterone, your, your muscle atrophy happens faster. So what I do during this period is I do a mix of gym work, mm-hmm. uh, plyometrics, and core training. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing two of those sessions, two to three of those sessions in a sort of eight to 10 day cycle. All right. Okay. So what I'll do is I get in the gym, uh, I'll do five or six different leg exercises, and then I do the plyometrics, like uh, box jumping, vertical jumps, you know, single leg raises, all that stuff. Now, why am I doing that? Because you need to build that muscular power and you need the hypertrophy. You want your muscles to grow mm. because then at the mitochondrial level, what you're doing is you're, you're basically preparing that muscularity to convert to power on the bike. Okay. Right? Yeah. And quite simply, you cannot replicate that on the bicycle. All right. right. That, that, for example, the explosiveness that very rapid muscle contraction of something like plyometrics, vertical jumping. Mm-hmm. Right? Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. It does. Oh, it does. Don't, tell me if I'm boring you, right? No, no, that's, that's very interesting because uh, that is also something that I am looking at right now in terms uh-huh. uh, strength and conditioning work to complement yeah. the bike uh, thing. Very so, important. Yeah. Now, and what you see here is like, there's a big problem, right? And the problem is this, a lot of guys are obsessed with, the, the Stravas and the training peaks and, and 
the problem with those those kind of platforms is that when you go and you look at your fitness and and your form Mm -hmm. the algorithms behind those metrics are all endurance biased all right right right. and they're also biased towards higher intensity work right so If you do lots of kilometers in November and December, you're going to see your fitness chart going up and yeah. you feel good. Oh, I'm doing well. Yeah. But actually that's only that that's kind of biased because it's not telling you anything about this muscular power or core strength that you're building. Right. right, right. So I see the opposite, right? While I'm doing this, this work in the gym and the plyometrics, what's happening to my fitness curve in training peaks and Strava, it's going down. Going down. Right? Yeah. As it should be, because I'm doing less of those kilometers. The other thing that's very important here is that when you're doing the gym work and the plyometrics, it's very grueling. I mean, it's hard on your body, Mm. right? So you really need recovery. So what I'm doing during this period is is really polarized training, right? So what Mm. does that mean? I go into the gym. And honestly, man, I mean, when I do a, you know, you, I do a warm up on my bike mm. and then I'll do an hour, hour and a half. Now the gyms have been closed. So I've actually been doing more heavy plyometric workout. I've got a squat rack at home. Mm-hmm. I'm doing these exercises at home. Um, but, you know, the next day, Benki, I can hardly walk up the stairs, man. You know, like, like my legs, my ass, it's all sore, right? Mm-hmm. So what do you need to do on those days? You know, maybe for me as a master also, it takes you two or three days mm-hmm. to recover from that. Right? right. So in those two or three days, what are you doing? You're riding your bike, but at heart rate zone one, okay. or maybe zone lower zone two, mm-hmm. because what you absolutely do not want to do is produce more lactate into your muscles. Right. Right. Because right. when you produce the lactate into the muscles, that doesn't allow the mitochondria mm-hmm. to to recover, to, to respond. So that's a mistake that a lot of people make, which is they, they do these sessions on their bike, Mm. but what they do is they do it at heart rate zone three. Yeah. Now I'm not talking about heart rate zone four, even five, definitely not that. But the problem with that is what you don't realize is, and there's a lot of academic studies on this, um, that even when you're riding at heart rate zone three, particularly upper zone three, mm. your body actually is producing low levels of lactate. Right. right? You don't feel it. You, you can ride at three hours at heart rate zone, zone three, yeah. but the lactate's being produced. So yeah. what is happening there is you're not allowing your body to fully recover right. between those, those, does that make sense? Between those intense sessions. Right. So that's been a revelation for me. And that's really been something that I've, really moved into in the last two or three years mm-hmm. is, is this real polarization of, of training during particularly this build phase right. into the base. So that's the first phase. That's, that's kind of the base mm-hmm. phase for me. And that lasted for about eight weeks. Okay. So when do you, uh, you give, uh, you said uh, you, the following two, three days, you do a very easy uh, bike se- uh, sessions. Uh, are they like short, uh, recovery kind of sessions or how do they yeah work? so what i will do is for example um the day after i'll just do an hour maybe 45 minutes off an indoor trainer just spin the legs really really like and, and in terms of wattage for me that's maybe 100 100 watts 120 yeah. you know yeah, yeah. um so for me you know a tempo ride for me um like which would be upper end of heart rate zone two that mm. would be about 160 watts 
Right. Okay. Yeah. When I get more into the tempo work, zone three, for example, that's more 210, 220. Yeah. Right. yeah. So these rides are at 100 watts. You're right. literally just spinning the legs over heart rate yeah. zone one. Yeah. So what are you doing there? You're just, you're, you're, it's called active recovery. Yeah. Just active recovery, getting legs to another. Then on the days, say day, day two and day three, you know, I'm doing, and what I do also is I do a lot of split sessions. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'll do an hour from in the morning from 6.30 to 7.30. Mm-hmm. Then I'll do another hour late afternoon or early evening. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, what I'm doing here is not going over heart rate zone two. Right. All right? So a little mm-hmm. bit more intense. But again, for me, it would be average heart rate around 115, 120. Yeah. Okay. And, and wattage wise, maybe 150, 160. Just, just turning it over. Okay. Right. So what am I doing here? Now, it's also very interesting. If you look at the academic studies on this, so for example, there's some terrific studies out of um, Norway um, coming both studies done on um, cross-country skiers, cyclists, and other endurance athletes Mm -hmm. that shows actually that when you're you're doing these sort of semi-endurance rides of two hours, three Mm -hmm. hours, Mm -hmm. at heart rate zone two, Mm -hmm. the actual physiological adaptation and benefits of that are basically the same as what you get with zone three. Right. Right. So zone three, zone three doesn't really do anything for you Mm. except put lactate into your system that you don't want right now. Right. Right. So, so the problem you see, and I mean, Venki, you don't have a look at a lot of your pals on Strava, right? What are they doing? They're doing loads of kilometers at heart rate zone three, heart rate 135 to 150, you know, something like that. Yeah. And it's a big fat waste of time. It doesn't do right. anything for right. you, right? So, so that, that's challenging in a way, a way a lot of, a lot of people train, right? Yeah. Which is too so many hours. When, when do you put your key workouts uh, on the bike then? Yeah, so then what it is about is, again, specificity, right? So, you know, what I'm doing here is I'm building the, the platform the mm. muscular power, the core strength. And by the way, you know, when you're lifting the heavy weights, again, it's not like on the bike, you're, you're these are a weight bearing exercises. Mm. So you're not just growing your muscles. You're not just triggering that mitochondrial development. You're strengthening your joints. Mm-hmm. You're strengthening your ligaments, your tendons because of that weight bearing exercise. Right? Right, right. So again, the interesting thing here, as I said, what you will see is during this period, your fitness curve is going down. Yeah. Your FTP is going down. Correct. Right? Yeah. And the research is clear on this. You know, when you do a weight program, yeah. what you can expect to see is not an improvement in FTP, a decline. Yeah. That's normal, right? That's normal. Okay. Yeah. But what you what you are building is the benefits that you will see two months later. Correct. All right. Yeah. So so what I then do is so then I'll be looking at Cyprus. So what I'll start to, what I'm starting doing now already is now I'm introducing this base phase, which involves also some on bike power training. Mm-hmm. So this morning I did one hour easy. Mm-hmm. This evening I'll do uh, another hour and 90 minutes mm-hmm. with what is called low cadence power. Okay. So what does that involve? It involves typically six by five minutes mm-hmm. where I'm producing a cadence of about 45 reps. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But I'm producing a power, which is on my threshold pretty much. Okay. Right? So, so, so for me, 
And what I'm doing there also is very important is remember, we want to minimize the lactate coming into our system. Mm-hmm. So during these five minutes of low cadence power, I'm not allowing my heart rate to go tip into the red, not to go into th- over threshold. Right. Because once you go into the red, you get a big, big rush of lactic acid. You don't want that mm-hmm. still during this phase. Right. And that's why also it's just these five minutes, right? Because yeah. if, you go, if you go longer than five minutes, the lactate yeah. will start to build up and pull. Mm-hmm. So you do five minutes. So for me at the moment, that's around 305, 310 watts. All right. right. So I'm just turning over 45, 310. Yeah. Making sure that my heart rate for me is not going over around one. 68 170 right yeah if my heart rate does start to creep above that i drop the wattage okay okay and what what would be the interval uh, re- recovery interval between that five five minutes five minutes right. on so five again, minutes off. exactly because what i'm doing there mm-hmm. is this intensity of five minutes and then in that five minutes i do active recovery yeah. again almost zero wattage whatever 80 watts 100 watts spinning yeah, yeah. just to clear out the lactate okay yeah. Um, or, or the alternative to that, particularly later in the, in, in the, in the session is just, just get off the bike completely. Mm-hmm. Right? So just, okay. just literally I sit, I have some tea or, or some, uh, electrolyte. Yeah. Now, why do you do that? Because the further into the session you go, the more glycogen you've been burning. Right. And even if you're just spinning your legs over, you're mm-hmm. still burning glycogen. Right. So what you want actually is you want your, your muscles to fully, well, in five minutes, they're not going to fully recover. But what will happen is if, if you're still mm. just relaxed, the glycogen will replenish slightly in your muscles. Okay. So you'll do a stronger workout. Right. Mm. Okay. So that's what I'll do. So I'll do these six by five minutes and you know, it's, 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 it's hard, but it's not too hard. And, and it's, but what you're doing is you imagine it, right? You're teaching your body, Mm. to produce high power mm-hmm. at a relatively low heart rate because yeah. you're not going over threshold. Yeah. And the other thing you're doing again is by the low cadence, what you're doing is you're strengthening your core, you know, your, 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 your ligaments, your tendons, your joints, because you're producing that, you're having to produce torque, right? Yeah. Muscular endurance. So, Exactly. So what you're doing here is also you're just really listening to your body right. because of course, you know, if your knee starts to ache or anything, you stop, yeah. right? You, you drop the wattage Correct. because what is more important here is technique yeah. to build the strength and stability. Yeah. But you, you have to be aware that it is pushed, putting, putting this pressure um, on your joints. Yeah. So, you, you know, I really listen, I listening to my body. Do I feel a little twinge in my knee or is it feeling, str- you know, str- if it does, yeah. I immediately back off, back off the wattage there. Right. Okay. So, you know, I'm doing that now. Then what I also start to introduce is some shocks to my body. All right. So, so what I start to bring in now is some micro interval work. All right. Mm-hmm. Now, um, what is that? What you're now doing is, you want to start preparing your body for high intensity. However, what you again want to be doing is keeping your body as free as possible from lactic acid. Because remember, we're still at the moment mm-hmm. in this strengthening building phase. Correct. And, and, and again, remember what I said, lactic acid, it destroys 
the benefits. It destroys the advantages because lactic acid does this have this negative effect on the mitochondria in your muscles. Mm -hmm. So what is a micro interval? I mean, I'm sure you've done them before. It's very simple. You know, a basic micro interval protocol would be a 30, 15. Mm -hmm. right, so what is that? You do a warm up for about 20 minutes. And then when your muscles are fully warmed. Now, by the way, this is better done late afternoon or early evening. Why? Because mm -hmm. your resting heart rate is higher then, your core body temperature is higher, and you're in a better physiological state for mm -hmm. intense workouts, all right? Okay. Morning is less good for this. Why? Because in the morning, your core body temperature hasn't yet risen. Correct. Your resting heart rate hasn't risen. Mm -hmm. So it, morning is good for those sort of endurance easy rides, mm -hmm. but less good for this intensity work, Okay. Um, particularly as you age. So I try to do these middle of the afternoon, Right. or early evening. Okay. So what you do here is you do um, basically your warm up, and then you do a 10 minute block. And okay. what you do in that 10 minutes is 30 seconds, full gas. All right. Now, mm. this is also something which I've learned in the last just couple of years. And again, this is coming out of the latest uh, research on elite performance for pro cyclists. Mm -hmm. So when you look at these guys like Van der Poel, Alaphilippe, um, Van Aert, yeah. these, this is the way these guys are training now. All right. Okay. And it actually comes, it comes from cyclocross. Right. Uh, it comes from athletics as well. They've been doing it for a while. Mm -hmm. So what are you doing during this 30 seconds of intensity? You're not doing that at your FTP, mm -hmm. right? You know, like in, in a traditional interval, you do five minute interval or 10 minute interval and you do it at FTP plus 2%. Right. So the whole idea there is what you're doing is you gradually increase your ceiling. You gradually right. increase your yeah. The research shows actually that it doesn't really work. It's not yeah. very effective. Mm -hmm. So the more effective way is to actually shock your system mm -hmm. by pushing it well beyond your FTP. Okay. So let's just say, you know, now heading into December, January, my FTP for one hour is 300 watts, 310. Mm -hmm. What I'm then doing is I'm doing this 30 seconds at FTP times 1.4. Okay. Right? Yeah. So you imagine for me, that's 450 watts, 440 right. watts. Yeah. That's hard, man. You know, that's it hard. Is. But you only do it for 30 seconds. Right. Right. So what you do is for 30 seconds, you, you ramp up, right? So you yeah. roughly know on your indoor, I usually do this indoor training because it's much more controlled. Correct. You roughly know that's the cadence, that's the, the gear that I need to ramp up to that 400 watts. Yeah. So if you're using a smart trainer, you can actually use the ERG mode. Correct. Where you just plug in 400, right? Yeah. So I'll do, I'll do my 30 seconds at 400. And then what do you do? You stop. Yeah. You literally stop pedaling, all right? Yeah. For 15 seconds. Yeah. So what is happening here is quite amazing because what your body has had is a shock. Mm -hmm. And within that 30 second, what starts to happen towards the end of the 30 seconds, the lactic acid starts getting released. Right. But, but we don't like lactic acid, Venki. So what happens in the 15 seconds rest, the lactic mm -hmm. acid gets cleared out. Yeah. The body clears out the right. lactic acid. Mm -hmm. So you can just be spinning a gear. Yeah. If you want, turning it over, that's good. Mm -hmm. And then what do you do? Another 30 seconds yeah. at 1.4. Yeah. So you repeat that for 10, 10 minutes. So that's about 13 efforts right. of 30 seconds with mm -hmm. those 15 second rests. Yeah. Now, why is this amazing, right? Is because 
if you look at the average of that 10 minutes, you know, mm. for me, the average I'll have for the 10 minutes might be 330 watts, 340. Right. That's similar to what I would do during a 10 minute interval effort. Right. However, I feel relatively fresh at the end of that 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you had done that 10 minutes as a continuous block mm. at that 300 and for me 330 watts level what's happening towards the end of the 10 minutes you're dying right because the lactic acid is building and building and building very taxing yeah very taxing mentally and physically yeah but by doing this 10 minutes of 30 15 30 15 Mm. you give your body this little break mentally it's a little and what then happens also is your body becomes very efficient. And, and I've been doing this now for a good two years, 80 months, this kind of protocol. Mm-hmm. Your body becomes really good at clearing yeah. out the lactic acid, right? Okay. It becomes really good at it. Yeah. Right. So what do you do? You do these three blocks of 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And between each block, you have 10 minutes rest. And for me, what do I do in that 10 minutes? I get off the bike. I oh. literally have 10 minutes where I have some char. I, you know, I, 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 have some electrolyte. I might get back on the bike, do a little spin. But what we're aiming to do in this 10 minute is Mm. is allow our body to replenish those glycogen stores. Right. right? So you'll have a quality effort again. So that's how you do it. Yeah. That's, that's a micro. So, so I'll start doing already maybe one, one of these sessions Mm -hmm. about every, every seven, seven to eight days. I I bring one of just one of these in Mm. because it is taxing. Mm-hmm. but it starts already introducing your body to that high intensity work. Right. Yeah. Right. So uh, do you kind of do it uh, even leading up to the races or close to the races? Yeah. So I'll, t- I'll talk about how that evolves. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so remember what we're talking here is this is the build, sorry, the base and the base. build phase. So yeah. the whole objective here mm-hmm. is to prepare your body for intensity. Right. All right. Now remember it's easier the the old method was first endurance then power no no right. that, that that's 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 old school right the new the new belief is this first develop the ability of your body for intensity for power mm-hmm. then layer on top of that later the endurance that you'll need right now I'm, I'm not saying that i'm not doing any endurance as i said i'm doing sometimes you know every after my gym workouts and my plyometrics i'm doing these two or three days where i'm doing maybe two or three hours in a day right on my bike it's mm-hmm. all zone one and two it's right. really really easy but mm-hmm. i'm still doing that endurance it's still it's still there in my body right. so what shifts now okay is that let's just say now we're getting into march into april and you know coming up now for for cyprus so what i'm doing now is i've been bringing in more of the the micro interval sessions but remember why am i doing the micro intervals Mm -hmm. because again i'm saving my body from lactate right all right Mm -hmm. because here's the thing um you if you think about your body you're almost like you think about your body being two halves right right one half of your body is the power is the intensity is the muscularity the 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 other half of your body is the endurance Mm-hmm. And what we start now talking about is real power endurance, right? Mm-hmm. Which is then being able to ride for three hours at 270, 290 watts, which is what you'll need just to be in the mix of those, those races. Mm-hmm. Okay. The problem is you can't develop both of those sides of your body at the same time. Right. You can't do it. 
right? It, yeah. You just can't do it. It's just, just too grueling on your body, right? right. So right. you have to be d- doing one or the other. Right. More or less, all right? Yeah. So what I start to do then is, and again, with the guidance of my coach, is as we start getting closer to the event, Mm-hmm. We then start to bring in more training that replicates the event. Okay. All right. So if I'm going for the time trial yeah. in Cyprus, now that's yeah. going to be, I think, 22 kilometers. Right. That is going to be a, an effort of around, for me, 30 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what am I going to start bringing in? What I'm going to start bringing in now, probably about six weeks before, is I'm going to start bringing in some intervals which are those you know two by 15 minutes right Mm -hmm. right yeah two by 15 minutes right so what i'm then starting to prepare myself is more the actual replication of the effort right and that will expose my body to more lactate Mm -hmm. but that's okay because what i'm now phasing out i'm phasing out the gym work i'm phasing out the plyometrics i'm phasing out the, the 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 that sort of heavy stuff Right. So I'm starting to move my body now more towards this kind of intensity because again, that will take recovery. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, the other thing that I'm then starting to do um, is now this will typically be for me about five to six weeks before the target event mm-hmm. is I will now start bringing in also some more endurance sort of, I would call it endurance tempo work. Okay. Right? Now, what does that mean? So what I will do is, this will be, say, March. Um, I will start racing here in Belgium. Mm-hmm. Right? But I won't be racing to win. I'll be racing to get my body used to racing. Okay. okay. Yeah. Now, what does that mean? Um, here in Belgium, there are different federations. But typically what happens is, let's say I go and race with one of the Flemish federations. Mm-hmm. They will have the master's race, mm-hmm. um, which will be a race of usually 60 or 70 kilometers. That's my age group. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Then after my race, half an hour later, they start the, the elite, the open guys. Mm-hmm. So these are the you know, 18 to basically 35-year-old guys. That, right. That'll be the, the open race. So what I'll do, Venki, is, and some guys think I'm crazy, but I do it. I race the master's race, not to win, just yeah. to sit in the peloton. Sit just to sit pack. in the peloton. Yeah. Right? Now, why? Because just to sit in the pack, that race is going to take about an hour and a half. Okay. Average speed, 42, 43 kilometers an hour. But all I do is sit in the pack and just to sit in the pack, I'm going to have to produce a power of 250, 260 watts. Right. Okay. Just to sit in, just to sit in the pack. Right. That's all I do. That's all I do. But what is that doing now? That's giving the shock to my body because I'm going to be probably in heart rate zone four there. Yeah. Okay. To just to, you know, my body's like, what the heck are you doing to us, Jamie? You know, like, but you do it. Then I'll have the half an hour break. Mm-hmm. And then I'll do exactly the same in the elite race, in the amateur race, the, the open race, right? right? Now, again, but in that race, I probably won't be in the breakaway or in the front group. I'll be just sitting with the chasing peloton, right? right? Yeah. So normally what I'll do early in the season is I won't... So the master's race will be 60 kilometers. Mm-hmm. The, the, the open race will be maybe 80, Yeah. right? So for the early season, I don't finish that second race. I only do half of it. Okay. Yeah. Right. So I will get about a hundred kilometers. Right. All right. But I'll get a hundred kilometers at 250 watts, right. 260 watts. Yeah. Yeah. So what's amazing here, Venki, is that in terms of adaptation, if I do that every weekend for three weeks, mm-hmm. 
Okay. For, for, by the fourth week, I do the full race with the masters. I do the full race open. I get 140 kilometers. Yeah. And my body is like, okay, Jamie, you know, it's like, we yeah. get it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We get it. All right. So, so you're basically then preparing your body to be able to do that yeah. three hours right. without cramping. Because, because if you don't do that, you know, if I don't do that, what's going to happen? You know, I go to a grand Fondo world series qualifier, yeah. like Casablanca this year. Yeah. Um, where I didn't, I didn't do it actually. I, I, I really just wanted the TT and the road race. I just went for luck. Yeah. I had a good result, but I did get in the breakaway, right? So in yeah. Casablanca this year, I hadn't done these long kilometers because this was February. Yeah. I'd been really training for the time trial. I won the time trial on the, 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 the Friday mm-hmm. or the Thursday. Yeah. Then I went into the road race on the Saturday, which is 110 kilometers. Mm. I got into the breakaway with like five guys, right? Because I had this power. Yeah. But man, I tell you, in the last 20 kilometers of that race, every muscle in my body was cramping. Yeah. Everything was cramping. Because I, it was, I, I made it, it was to a the shock. Yeah. It was a shock. My, yeah. my body wasn't ready for it. Right. So, so that's sort of, and again, again, that's what a lot of guys don't get, right? Because what a lot of guys do Mm. is they do all of this kind of endurance power work, you know, the, all this endurance work over the winter. Mm. And then they try to introduce the intensity closer to the race, mm. right? Whereas you should be doing the opposite. Actually. What, what you're talking about sounds uh, like a reverse polarization, right? Exactly. That's, that's the technical term for it. Yeah, reverse right. polarization. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I, what I've seen is that... Um, but again, you know, I, I think the more kilometers you have under your belt, the more, more years you have as a road rider, mm-hmm. the more that endurance base is there mm-hmm. and the faster it comes back, you know. But like mm-hmm. I said, with me, it's usually within three to four weekends mm-hmm. of doing this, my body adapts. It adapts. Yeah. And then what will happen? You know, so what am I doing then? You know, basically what I'm doing then is the closer I get to the event, I've built up that, that power endurance now mm-hmm. so i will stop that about 14 days 10 to 14 days before the race you're okay? tapering. why tapering all right all i'm doing then is getting all of that fatigue everything out of my body and what i'm basically then just moving towards are micro interval sessions okay. yeah. every the, the micro intervals i described for you yeah I basically do those, okay? Because what that does is it primes your engine again for intensity, but it does that in the absence of lactate. Without the so fatigue. You can, exactly. You can recover, yeah. you can eradicate your fatigue, and you can still have that intensity there. The difference, however, is what we then start to do is close to the event again, I adapt the micro interval protocol. And this was actually, this was shared with me, this, this technique by Michael Rogers, who was the mm. former uh, multiple world time trial champion. Yeah. So Michael Rogers, he finished his career with Sky, Team Sky. And the coach there was Tim Kerrison, mm-hmm. the, the famous Australian coach, you know, coach Wiggins and Froome and Richie Port and all those guys. Right. So what Kerrison did, and remember he came from swimming, right? Hmm. was that what Kerrison could see was that in, in swimming, for example, right, you know, in, in the shorter events, 200 meters, for example, yeah. um, the guys would go and they would go hard, but they would go at a very consistent pace. 
Mm. All right. So what he started doing with the Aussie swimmers is in these events, he trained them to go absolutely full gas for the first 50 meters. Right. Right. And then to take, to get ahead of the other guys, mm. to take a little bit of a breather, let them catch up a little bit. And when you recover, be ready to go again, right. but back to the level, which those guys have been sustaining. Right. Mm. So if you think about this in the, in the context of cycling, yeah. how does that, how do you see that in a race, right? How you see that in a race is you see how the guys at Sky or Ineos take on a climb in the Tour de France. What do they do at the base of the climb? They go full gas. Yeah. Full gas. Now they've trained for that because what Kerrison introduced to them is these very high short lactate efforts of about 45 seconds to a minute, mm. right? Where they're not doing, they're not doing 450 watts, right? They're mm. doing 550 or 600, but yeah. just for 45 seconds. Yeah. What they then do is you take 45 seconds, a minute, relatively easy mm. and then you go to your, your, your tempo which might be a, as a professional 400 watts or 380 right. for me as an amateur it's maybe 330 right. okay mm. so what i train myself for is this thank you right is kind of like those guys in sky or Ineos. so okay. what i now do is with my with my micro interval protocols mm -hmm. i do my 20 minute warm-up yeah then what i do is before the first 10 minute block I do one minute progressive to max, oh. right? So I, I, I produce for that one minute over 500, 600 watts. Okay. okay. About 45 seconds, right? So yeah. just to the point where you start feeling the lactate coming, mm. but full gas, right? Yeah. Then what do you do? You take roughly one minute, yeah. easy pedaling. Yeah. And then, and then you go straight into the 10 minute block. All right. So what does this do? This gives you the ability, it trains your body to follow the strongest guys at the base of the climb or even to attack at the base of a climb. Right. Because if your competitors, mm. even if they've been doing the micro interval efforts, even if they've been doing the, the traditional interval, you know, six by five minutes or three by 10 minutes, if they have not trained these high lactate efforts, what happens? Eh? they panic because they see you attacking up the road. Yeah. So they try to stay with you. Yeah. And what happens when they try to stay with you, their system is not trained to do that. So they get a big spike of lactate yeah. that their body is not trained to clear. Yeah. Right? They're not used so to that. Search. No, no. Right. And so what happens is, is they go into the red mm -hmm. and they never get out of the red. You push them into the red yeah. and they stay in the red. And that's what you see, you know, if you think about what Team Sky and Ineos did, they would blow some of the best climbers in the world yeah. within the first few kilometers of a climb because yeah. those guys would get into the red at the base yeah. and they would never recover from that, right? Correct. So, yeah. So, but Venki, these are our secrets, okay? <laughs> no one, no one will laugh. Don't tell these secrets to anybody, all right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't tell these secrets. Great, great insights, uh, Jamie. Uh, that that was really insightful uh, about your training and how it goes. How you use the reverse periodization to uh, get Super in shape. Good. Look, the, the other thing there, Benki, is honestly the, the thing that I discovered, and I'm a, I was amazed, right? Because you know I'm I'm turning fifty, mm. 
And I've been introducing these new protocols over, like I said, the last 18 months or so, you know, with the guidance of my coach. And um, I've been blown away because, you know, I, I still see improvements. You know, I'm almost yeah. 50. Yeah. And, you know, and also what was amazing for me were the micro intervals because mm. I actually saw after doing these micro intervals for, you know, for example, when I first introduced them. So just for example, you know, this year before Casablanca, Mm -hmm. um, where I won the time trial third in the road race overall, you know, not just for the masters, but overall in the road race. Um, you know, I did five micro interval sessions, mm -hmm. uh, before the time trial in that sort of period of about 14 days before every okay. two or three days I was doing micro intervals and then nothing easy riding. Mm. Um, I saw my FTP increase by 5%. So, so my FTP was 5% better in that time trial in Casablanca than I'd ever seen before. Wow. You know, that is something. So it's, it, that's really something, you know, yeah. and the other thing about it was in Casablanca, we actually, we had a time trial circuit, which was, which was out and back mm -hmm. eight, with eight times. Huh? So it was right. out, back, out, back. Out, oh, back. So okay. Short, short circuit. Very short circuit. Yeah. Out and back. So each time we went out, we had to corner, we had to break and we had to accelerate again. Yeah. And that will come in so, very handy. And that's exactly what the micro interval session trains, right? Because yeah. it trains from, you know, up, Bed down, to up, up. So yeah. down to up. Yeah. So exactly there. So I really, I really believe in that. But what I will do for your show notes as well. Thank you. I mentioned some of these academic studies, like from, yeah from some of the researchers in Norway and, and I, I'll share some of that with you and you can share with the listeners. That would be well. perfect. That would be perfect. It's, it's really good. It's there. Yeah. Thanks, uh, Jamie. Um, I, I know you are looking to, uh, you know, do other stuff in the day, but um, I let us, uh, uh, you know, it's been a great uh, valuable inputs, but let us end with some, some more tips to that you would like to give working athletes to do well, both at work and sure. their sport. You know, I, I guess the first thing is, is be realistic with your goals, you know, yeah. be realistic with your goals. So, so, you know, look at the time you have available, um, you know, your level of energy, your level of commitment and, and set goals, which are realistic, you know, and, and like I said, you know, look, I, I fully acknowledge that I can't win 160 kilometer world championship races every year. You know, that, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, so some years I decide I'm going to go fast for 20 kilometers and, and then I base my, my training goals around that. So, so be realistic with the goals. The second thing there is not just about the time you have available, but, you know, be realistic with what kind of rider you are. Yeah. Right. So what's your physiology? You know, if you're a 90 kilogram powerhouse, then, you know, maybe doing the Transalp is not for you. You know, like a Transalp is this multi-day race in France, this crazy one where you do like 4,000 altitude meters every day, right? I right. mean, that's going to kill you. Yeah. So, you know, also look at your physiology. You know, yeah. are you a punchy rider? Are you, are you a climber? You know, what is it? Now, again, you know, I'm, I'm a roulier, you know, I, I can do a little bit of everything. Yeah. I'm not a pure climber and I'm not the strongest guy on the road. So mm. I set my goals very much around what suits my capabilities as well. That's, that's the second thing. Yeah. Um, very important. Um, the third thing, you know, if I, I said it is just, you know, acknowledge that it's not just about you, you know, it's about the we and, and make sure that your goals and, and the, 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 objective that you set yourself fit with your family, you know, and, and, and with your partner and, and that you've talked about that and that, that those 
sort of expectations are understood and, and, and are realistic. Yeah. Very important, right? Because yeah. that, that, that matters. Um, that's, that's the third thing. The fourth thing is get creative. Yeah. Get creative with your training, all right? Now, what do I mean by that? You know, a lot of people say to me, Venki, I don't have the time to train. Mm. Okay. If you're a knowledge worker, mm-hmm. right? Now, it's different if you're like a surgeon, you know, like, or you're, a, you know, you're, you're someone who's really working with your hands or you're on a production line or something like that. Okay, it's different because you physically have to be there all the time. But for many knowledge workers, we work in our heads, right? So to give you an example, I mentioned, I typically wake up every morning and from six to seven, six or seven, I do an hour on my indoor trainer before mm. I start my work day. Yeah. But what am I doing when I'm on my indoor training? You know, I'm, not, I'm not playing some video game like Zwift. No, what I'm doing is I'm doing my email, right? So I have a Microsoft Surface. I've got the, the, the tablet holder on my handlebars. So I'm scanning my emails. I might be editing a PowerPoint presentation. Um, you know, I actually tried responding to emails with voice dictation, but that was a disaster. You know, I was like, <laughs> I was sending really embarrassing messages to people. So I don't know. You know, so I can scan my emails. I can edit a PowerPoint document. Um, I can read some articles. You know, uh, if I'm teaching, which I still do some visiting teaching, I can grade some student papers. All right. So you can do a lot on an indoor trainer. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. However, you know, you can only do that when you're doing these easy, easy things, right? You know, yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, I'm not trying to do a micro interval session while at the same time being in a zoom call, you know, <laughs> that, that's not going to work. You know? yeah. you, people are going to look at you on the zoom call sweating and ah, no, that's not good. Not good. Okay. Yeah. So just acknowledge that, you know, as a worker and particularly someone working from home, you, you have different levels of cognitive work. Yeah. You know, you've got level one and two cognitive work, which is really easy. Scanning yeah. your emails, yes and no questions, working on a PowerPoint presentation. That's easy. Yeah? Yeah. When you get into the really hard stuff, you know, like having a conversation, a brainstorming session with your colleagues on a Zoom call. Well, you can't really do that while you're doing interval sessions, you know. Okay. Right. Um, but I do. I, I do WhatsApp calls on my bike. Eh? Mm-hmm. I, do, I do them in the morning with colleagues and stuff like that. Okay. So let's get creative, right? Yeah. And related to that, get creative is I'm a big believer in split workouts. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Um, again, speaking with guys like Michael Rogers, the research they did at Sky, mm-hmm. what they discovered, there's very little difference between doing a three hour continuous ride and three times one hour rides spaced out during the day. Wow. The physiological benefits mm-hmm. are basically the same. And in fact, what they actually discovered um, at teams like Sky was that there are some advantages with split, split training. Okay. So what they showed actually was your body, um, in terms of fat breakdown and weight loss, there, there are advantages in split training. Mm-hmm. Right? You, you, get, you get bigger weight loss advantages by splitting your training than by doing a continue. It's got something to do with the fat burning metabolism okay. that if you get into a steady state, yeah. it's different to doing these three separate shocks to your system, right? Right. Going from, you know, um, in, in, that's how it works. I, I don't know the science behind it, but apparently it's effective. So right. don't be afraid to split your sessions. Okay. Right. That's, the, that's the thing um, to, to do that effectively. Um, the fifth thing, very importantly, is that realize that building your fitness, you know, and, and, and is not just about what you do on the bike, right? So what I've talked about a lot today already is the gym work, the plyometrics. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you go to an office, maybe you have a gym across the road or, or, you know, you know, 
you can do plyometrics on stairs. You can, you can have a box, a table you can jump onto, you know, there's stuff like that. So, you know, I do a lot of in the off season, um, I do swimming, I do hiking. Um, so get that step counter, you know, and then yeah. realize that you can be working on your fitness as well. So again, it's about being creative, you know, building yeah. up your fitness levels there. Yeah. Super important. Um, and also that's very important for mental freshness. You know, I'm always keeping very aware of my mood, my motivation, and don't be afraid to have a few days off. You know, don't, don't be afraid. Just, just be very conscious of keeping those three balls in the air. And if you start feeling tired and run down and moody, yeah. take a couple of days rest. Yeah. Right. Let yourself, yeah. let yourself get better. So they're my five, five tips. Oh man. Brilliant, Jamie. This has been a fantastic, fantastic uh, couple of hours. Uh, thank you for so many great insights and uh, thank you for uh, taking the time out and spending the time with the uh, working athlete podcast. Absolutely. It's my, my pleasure, Venki. And of course, any of those of you watching this, I mean, please, of course, subscribe to Venki's uh, channel because it's awesome. There's lots of great talks in here. But of course, also do subscribe to This Cycling Life, um, which is the channel that I'm, I'm hosting. Got lots of interesting stuff on. Absolutely. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. So in the show notes, maybe Venki will provide people with the LinkedIn contact info. I so if any of you do have any questions or comments, you know, you connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, and of course, also do link up with us on, on Strava. That'd be great too. Super. I will provide you the uh, provide uh, the links for the cycling life and uh, your LinkedIn profile and everything in the show notes. That would be awesome. Sounds great. Good. Okay, thank you. Thanks for your time. Great. Uh, thanks, Jamie.